get to today, it's a little special. We're doing Mark as a church, and we go through verse by verse, and we go through, and, and but half our church is up at the camp house today. I didn't want them to miss the transfiguration, which is the next part of Mark. So we get to do something I hope is special to you, which I want to take a step back. I want to go up high. I want to show you um, the wonder that is Jesus Christ in the Bible. You say, well, that's really easy and obvious. And they say, no, actually, it's a little hard. Sometimes we miss it. And many of us have been Christians our whole lives, but we don't, like, jump into Bible reading with great joy because it seems a little dry. It seems a little, um, I don't know, complicated. And we miss the wonder of what we get to read in the Scriptures. My heart today is that you would get touched and, and, and you would see the wonder of what it is that the Bible's about. And, and I like to say it this way, that you would that you would see the pictures, pictures for us, but that you would avoid what I call the, the Nicodemus trap. You guys remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus in John chapter 3, really famous chapter, right? It's where we get, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. It's where we get, get that amazing, wondrous thing. But it starts with this man coming to Jesus. He's a Pharisee. And he comes to Jesus at night. Nick at night, right? And he comes in, and, and then he has this sort of question for Jesus, and he wants to talk to him. He says, oh, I know you're this great teacher, Jesus. I, I put it up there just so you see the beginning. There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with them. And he begins to have this interaction with Jesus. Sure. I know you've got wisdom for me, and the whole thing for the Pharisees, right, was how do I keep this law? How do I do what's right? How do I do the right behaviors? What's the Sabbath about? How do I make sure I'm holding tight to the behaviors that please God? And if you go to the interaction and see what God in Christ says in it, that's really awesome. You've got to be born again. You need a whole different frame of reference than you even have. around you you've gone off into this strange way of thinking about the bible i feel like what happens to us that so easily can be is that we forget what the bible's about and when i'm talking about the bible i don't mean the new testament i mean the bible the old testament too so i want to show you today i want to show you why you might want to be reading your old testament why it's wonderful why it's amazing and i want to show it to you from the old testament a bit Broken into three sections. Or is law. Right? Like history and wisdom. And the prophets. And what's so, 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 and they have a little bit different pieces, but I want to take from each piece and I want to talk to you just appreciate the wonder of who Jesus is. And I want you to be blessed and encouraged by this God who won't let us go. By the statement you are lost sinner and this God who, who you just receive. Let me tell you. We'll start with pictures painted in the law. First, books of the Bible, right? 
called Torah, the books of the law, kind of called the law of Moses in other places. We know the stories in it. If you're familiar at all with the Bible or you went to Sunday school, you know the stories of Genesis and of Exodus. You know, it says, I, I, I break it up for people like this, so it's really easy to know. It's four events and four people. So there's God who created everything, right? We have the creator God, and then he made people, Adam and Eve, and they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so became their own gods, if you will, deciding what was right and wrong. And they got ashamed, and God kicked him out of the garden. But even right there, there's this little picture of there's a coming sea who will crush the head of Satan, right? And off they go, and people are terrible. There's the flood, but God doesn't kill everybody. He has mercy on Noah, and he, and he says, I'm not even going to do this again. Here's the rainbow that you can look at and know that I'm, I'm not going to kill everybody. And Babylon, he disperses the people, disperses the nations, and, and, and then God chooses one man, Abraham, and, and you get these pictures. I promise God puts Abraham to sleep and, and walks between and makes his own covenant with Abraham that he's going to bless him and give him a nation and a, a seed and, and a land and and, and, and and there's Isaac, Abraham's son, and Jacob, who, who's just tricky and doesn't do things like he ought to do. And yet God is a God. Everybody, Joseph, amazing picture of God delivered his people through betrayal, slavery. So they get to Exodus, right? I'm just giving you a couple of walk-ins. To where I want to, I want to go in at, at 20,000 feet, and we're going to get down to 10,000 feet in a minute. But, but you realize, right, that God delivers his people out of bondage from the world. These amazing pictures of the Passover and how the angel of death was going over, and, and, and the people of Israel, the firstborn son, was saved if they painted the blood of a perfect lamb over their doorpost. Like, Jesus, whoa. And then God brought his people out, and he put them through the Red Sea, and he took them away, and they were all baptized into Moses, and they all went out into the desert, and and then they camped for a long time. Well, you Exodus about 19, right? Where God gave people his amazing law to be in relationship with them. And, and I want to I wanna, Slow down there for a minute. I want to camp there. Because this is a God who has created people and chosen this people and led this people. That's the story of our Bible so far as we've walked through. And and, and he, he leads them and provides for them and he has a purpose and a plan and he knows them. He's not surprised by their infidelity or their grumbling and their sin and their wrongness and So then you have there, and it's right at the end of chapter 19. It's just a 20 on the board, but in 19, where it's it's this amazing thing. Moses goes up to talk to God. None of the people want to. It's scary up there. You go yourself. The people are all scared because there's rumblings and lightnings, and this is God who does amazing wonders. Where you don't want to be up there. So Moses goes up to talk with God. And the whole time here that we're going to talk about in Exodus, Moses goes up to talk with God. And God spoke in chapter 20 of Exodus, saying, I am the Lord 
your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Oh, what a fantastic God he is. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first thing I want to say. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in the heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. won't have any graven images, right? Goes on chapter, right? Laws about stealing, laws about slaves, laws about how they're to interact, and chapter after chapter, and our eyes go a little bit glazed. Because this is the same setting in which God is laying out Leviticus and all those laws and all the things there, and then the tabernacle. And how to, so there's this stuff going on, and we start to forget We forget this. God interacts with God. Interact with Moses. Sam have a relationship with you people. This is what you're to do. And then and then before all these other laws are laid out, he had the people, the, the leadership, and all the people come and hear it. That's Exodus twenty four. Right? Let me let me just put it on so you see it. Exodus twenty four seven. There's Moses. He took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, what did they say? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And he will be obedient. Then Moses, it's a big, deep deal. Moses took the blood. He, he had blood of the bulls. He, 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 he threw it on the people. He said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. All of them. So, and then they had the scene, right? Where, where they all heard, this is to be in relationship with this amazing God who delivered you out of Egypt, who, who's had you and, and fed you and given you water to drink and everything that you are, he's done for you. And so what he wants you to do is this. And they all say, yes. And so then Moses has Aaron and the elders wait while he goes back up to talk with the Lord some more to kind of finalize the details of how this is going to work. And they're going to talk about, and you do there in Exodus 25 and 26 and 27, talking about how the priests are going to be holy and consecrated, how the tabernacle is going to work because God's going to dwell with people. It's amazing. How they're going to be set apart for God because his presence is going to be there. And the point of emphasis, God himself, he makes these special tablets. I say special because it's emphasized over and over several times in the text. You should go check it out. That they're written with the finger of God. You guys ever seen God's finger? Me neither. It's a miraculous, deep thing. Right? I, I, I'll just show you in Exodus 31. This is the, the, the end of this whole section. It's the center section of the giving of the Ten Commandments and the, the depth of the covenant of God for the people. And he says there in 18, right? He gave to Moses when he finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai. Now it's talking about God himself. He says the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. These are the tablets that are going to be stored in the Ark of the Covenant. 
These are deep, special things. It's amazing. Super, you can't, I can't emphasize enough. I can't speak enough to you about how amazing, deep, this is the story of a God who has created a people and will be their God and will be with them and they will be a, a light to the nations around them if they just do this very simple thing and it's, it, it, it's, it's there and they've already covenanted they're going to do it. And so God's just finalizing and writing. He knows everything that's going on, by the way, but he's finalizing and writing and they're there in verse 18 of chapter 31. There you, he, Moses has the tablets. Okay, we've come down to about a thousand feet. Because you've got to get the reality of what's happening. What's going on? Well, these great, amazing tablets are being written. If you're a Bible student, you know. While Moses is with God, finalizing the covenant and talking, the people are doing what? Where'd Moses go? He's been gone a long time. Maybe we should make an idol and worship it. You've heard of the golden calf. I mean, look at the next verses. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Yeah, then he just went up to the mountain. We did this whole covenant thing. We got blood sprinkled on us. We said we're going to obey all these things. What was number one? You shall have no other gods before me. What was number two? No graven images. What did they do? When the people saw Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. Oh my goodness. We don't see Moses around. Let's make other gods. Let's make an image. Aaron says, okay, well, give me all the gold you collected from the Egyptians and and we'll make it into an image. And so he graved this golden metal calf. And they all worship it. That's the picture, right? That's the picture. We get to see God telling. And if you read it, you can go back and read the whole story. This is where we're moving through whole swaths of the Old Testament. That you see God telling Moses that they're doing this. God knows. You see Moses going down. And, 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 and when he sees it, he just takes these special tablets written by the finger of God and just throws them away. He's so mad. He destroys them. Because it's all destroyed. They're done. They had God in a relationship and they broke it with the first breath they had. This is the story, right? This has always been the story. I immediately want to go says, well, those crummy people, I would do so much better. That's the wrong pathway to go down. The pathway is over and over and over not by lack of understanding or knowledge, not by simple ignorance, but by willful steps. We don't do what God says to do. It's interesting, God says, kill them all. And Moses says, please, no, there's this picture of a sinning people and a mediator that comes in to say, no, no, and and, and God relents. He doesn't kill them. In fact, he goes back into relationship with them. He makes another set of tablets. What? There's no way he should. This is what you're learning about God, is that in the face of our sin, the sin of his people, he stays in relationship. Are there consequences? Sure. Sin stinks. But this is incredible. 
Let me say this, they're not enabled to obey more. Well, let me give you another set of tablets, and it'll come with a special drink that'll make you just obey. No, because the story is over and over and over, they don't. Right? And, and even these amazing pictures of provision that you see in the face of unbelief all through Exodus and then into Numbers and then into the promised land. You get to see them over and over, right? You get to see them complain, but the Lord gives them bread from heaven to eat every day. And we know there's a greater bread that Jesus is, the bread of life. That, 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 that they're thirsty and God gives them water. Moses strikes a rock, right? And, and God provides water for them to drink. And we know there's a, a greater rock who gives living water. And, and so the message that we begin to hear is that in spite of us, even the second time around, you remember, right? The second time around in Numbers where God tells Moses, he says, hey, talk to the rock. And Moses hits the rock. He shouldn't have done that. He doesn't get to go into the promised land. The law won't get you in. But, but you have there Moses who, who, who still gets water. Water still comes out. Our God is amazing. From the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. What is it about? The Old Testament. There's many things that are in it, but it is not less than the story of our God in Christ pursuing us, sinners. You can find him. So we need to read it this way, not how can I be a better me? I'm going to read my Old Testament. How can I be a better me? But I see this incredible God and I trust him. In spite of me, he forgives me. The law points to a coming mediator. The law points to a relationship based on one-way love. The law points to our inability because no one ever did it. Woe to you if you think you do it now. Okay, that's that's law. That the Torah goes on. We can't we can't spend. This is one sermon. This is an overview. We got to go back up to, to twenty thousand feet and move to the next section, which is wisdom. Pictures painted in wisdom. This is the writings, right? But, but when I say writings, it means the histories and different things like that. The Bible's not just law. One of the favorite sections, I don't know about you, but it is for me, is wisdom literature. Proverbs. Aren't they awesome? Better is a corner of the house than one shared with a contentious woman. Go Solomon. Sorry, sorry, that's not very nice, right? But there's lots. There's my favorite ones. There's things like this. There's things like there's things like um, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, right? And so there's fun, practical, awesome things about about don't be like look at the ant. It labors and therefore it has enough to eat. And boy, if you if you're just lazy, things aren't going to go very well for you. There's things like this. Whoever covers an offense seeks love but he who repeats a matter separates close friends and so it's like yeah gossip will kill you man and repeating stuff but covering ah sweet there's a wisdom to it you see i lots of other ones 
As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And, and above all of it, above all of it, the fear of the Lord. Several times in Proverbs, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, he says in another place. One of our favorite for many people is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. But he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, right? Oh, if you would have wisdom, it's fearing the Lord, says Solomon. And, 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 and we read them over and over because there's just pithy statements of Solomon as he's written down for us things he's learned about wise and skillful living and how relationships work and how we should be. Right? Do this and do well in your life here. Say, yeah, but. What's the but? That's Proverbs. We're talking about Solomon. Solomon also wrote Ecclesiastes. You know Ecclesiastes, right? Ecclesiastes, he just goes around and says, I used all these wisdom principles and I did them all and here I go and I, and I found out it's all vanity. And he doesn't mean the, the piece of furniture that we use to make ourselves look good. He means worthless. He says, I've seen it, you know. He says, I've seen the person work hard all their life and not get anything. He said, I've seen, I've seen someone who accumulates and works and does and this, and then his kids blow it all. I've seen people who do noble deeds and mighty deeds, and, and, and they're forgotten after they're dead. I've seen people who are dumb, and they do one silly thing, and it saves the whole city. It just doesn't seem to work. And then he says... In a really beautiful, the very end, says this is the end of the matter, he writes in this wisdom book, right? This book about living skillfully. And here's Solomon. And, and, and he says, this is the end of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I'm like, yeah. So the wisdom literature, I start to think, okay, well, that's pushing me back to the law so I can keep the commandments because that's the wisest thing is to fear the Lord. I think, man, Solomon had it. <coughs> Remember Solomon? Remember the story of Solomon? Remember how when he was young and he asked the Lord, said, Lord said, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. The Lord's like, oh, I like that answer, the Lord said. So I'm giving you wisdom, I'm giving you wealth too. And and, and, and he, he had all this stuff. He was the wisest man ever. And you get these great pictures of him. With Remember the one where the, the, the two women and the kid, and he's like saw him in half? Just finding out who the real mom was that really loved the kid. Solomon. So you think there's a way, right? And there's a presentation in the Bible of the way of life and wisdom and the wisest man ever. And, and he writes these amazing pithy statements. And then you have him... Well, fear the Lord and keep God's commands. Think again, right? Let me pull up for you, 1 Kings 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, Hittite women, from the nations concerning of which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. What was, what was, what was Ecclesiastes end again? The whole duty of man is 
fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments, doing what he says. Solomon, wisest man ever. Exhibit A. What's the noise they make in Jeopardy? Is it Jeopardy? No, family feud. Ah! Right? I mean, he does it. That's, that's, that's the definition of not obeying the Lord. The Lord said, don't marry a bunch of foreign women. And what does he do? Did, did, I, did, I, did I not stop? He had 700 wives and, who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. And then just, just look, it keeps going. Drop down to verse 9. It says, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing. And he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. What? See, see, this puts to, 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 to rest forever this idea that with a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of understanding, you'll do the right thing. Solomon had more understanding than you'll ever have about how life worked, so much so that he wrote three amazing books in the Bible about wisdom. And he's off being stupid. Welcome to being human. He's, he's not different than us. It goes on to say that the very reason the kingdoms were broken apart was because of Solomon and this. There's only hints of help, but the hints are there, and you should read them this way. You should see them, right? You should see the hints of help. For example, as Solomon is writing about wisdom in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 8, there's actually the personification of wisdom, and it's wisdom who is there making earth with God. It's wisdom who becomes personified as a person we know, and his name is Jesus. And then there's the Song of Songs. You know the Song of Songs, right? This beautiful picture of a man with his wife. A Shulamite. But you get this amazing thing where it's not Solomon pursuing her. She starts to pursue Solomon. Wisdom pursues Solomon. It's going to be a gift, you know, that if you have wisdom, it's because Jesus Christ pursues you. The love of God for us. So there's law, but we don't keep it. We have to trust in this incredible God. Jesus is coming. There's wisdom, but we don't follow it. We've got to trust in wisdom for us. And that's that's on the pages of Scripture. If you'll look, you know Jesus is our wisdom, right? Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is our wisdom, the cross. It's foolishness to any reasonable person, but it's not about reasonableness. It's about the truth. Okay, so there's picture painted in law. Look at these people, and they're not different than us. There's picture painted in wisdom. Look at this amazing, wise man, and he sins like us. Look at God who pursues. There's another section. There's prophecy. So let's think about that just for a minute. Of time. There's big books of the Bible that are prophetic books. Right? And again, we start to read them and we get we get put off by the length or what they are. So let me let me just let me just give you a little frame, right? So here's Isaiah. One of the if you talk to a lot of Bible scholars, the 
the, the, the prophet without peer, his his 66 chapters, which reflect the 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 whole number of books in the Bible, and and, and you have this this amazing presentation of the wrath of God, but the the coming Christ, the suffering servant, all these pictures that we use at Christmas and and, and, and Easter of, of Jesus and all he'll do for us. And Isaiah wrote them all, right? But Isaiah begins where he sees the Lord. It's Isaiah chapter 6. Read it sometime. It's amazing to think about. That Isaiah actually sees this amazing vision, and it's this wheel thing turning, and, and, and it's these seraphim, the, these winged beings covering their, 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 their body parts, and, <coughs> and they're chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and he's just like, Ooh. this is the prophet Isaiah. And what he says, what he says is, Woe is me. I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) I'm a person of unclean lips. Remember that? It's the call of Isaiah. It's It's the person recognizing. It's you and me recognizing. We're not holy. We're not climbing a ladder. We're not by anything we do. When you actually see something, here Isaiah sees something. And so what happens is, is that one of the seraphim takes a coal, right? And comes outside of him with this coal and touches his lips to make him able to say. Some people think even in the cosmology, the way they were thinking there is that's that's almost the receiving of more than just a cleanse outer lip. It's the receiving of the essence of which he will speak, and it's from outside of him. All of Isaiah's words, this of this suffering servant, of the uh, coming from the lips not of himself but touched by God, and and then of course his prophecy goes on to say, "Will be a people who hear but don't understand, see but don't perceive." But God knows; He knows people have no power. He's got to come do it all. He's got to come give the words. He's got to come be the rescuer. He's got to be the servant. And and you get this right. You get this that oh destruction on people and their sin but there's hope why because there's someone coming it's over and over you guys remember ezekiel and again a really amazing book of the bible and worthy of our study but it he goes through right ezekiel does and he has several visions and then there's that last 10 chapters or so that's on the new temple coming but the the, the thing that makes it remarkable to me is the vision you get you get Ezekiel and he's looking in and he's seeing how bad people are, not just people, the priests. And he looks in and they're just, oh, they're doing despicable things and worshiping wrong. And so he, he talks about how the glory, and it's, it's a cloud on the mountain, it goes up. And it's this vision he has of it going away. And you think, oh, yeah, they deserve it, these evil people. I'm much better than them. No, it's not the thing. You're just like them. There's hope for you. What's the hope? There's a new temple coming. There's a new mediator coming. There's a new person coming. There's a savior coming. It's there. Daniel, you guys know Daniel, right? Amazing. It's really not in the prophetic books. It's in the histories. It's in the writings. But, but, but still, it, we know it is prophecy because it's prophecy to us, to the Gentiles. There's this amazing picture in Daniel 2. You know it, right? Who hasn't heard of the statue with the head and the shoulders and the arms, the different, the different things that are coming, right? The different 
beasts that represent nations. <coughs> but in the midst of it, in Daniel 2, you have this, this, this thing that's built, and, and we think it correlates, and you've correlated over time in history to say, look, there's, there's the kingdom of Babylon, and, and there's the Medes and the Persians, and, and, and there's even Greece, and here's the Roman Empire, and it's the kingdoms of the world, and then there's this stone in Daniel 2 comes out of the heavens, not made by human hands, that hits the, the, the statue and destroys it. Who is it? Who does that? Isn't it Jesus? He comes and he destroys the systems of the world. And, and it's there prophetically. And, and, and the, the details that are given to make sure you know, it's not human. It's not something we've built. It's not something we can do. It's totally God. The honors for you who believe, Peter writes, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling a rock of offense they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do what's the disobedience of the word they won't receive jesus because that's all there is they're quoting peter there's quoting psalm 118 22 the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone so, so, so you get again and again all these prophecies of judgment, judgment coming on the world and its systems, judgment coming, 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 and then this hope, this hope that's there of a coming Savior. And it's in the pages of the Old Testament. And he came. This is the reality for us. So if we're going to avoid the Nicodemus trap today, it's you and I figuring out that we're not coming to Jesus as a teacher, as a rabbi, saying, give me wisdom to live my life. Give me the law so I can keep it. Give me the instructions so that with the right instructions, the right input, I can make sure I get the right output. That with a little help, Lord, and the right knowledge, I can help advance your kingdom. Let us not go there. Because Jesus says, you've got to be born again. That means a radical different view of what's going on. Jesus says you need an entirely new life. You can't understand. You're taking the Bible so wrongly. And in today's world, that's the Bible as a manual for better living. The Bible as a guide to how you think things work. And it's not wrong to go think about it, of course the reality, there's reality and good instruction and wisdom in the Bible. But all of it's wrapped in you fail. Even in John 3, where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Jesus pulls back from the Old Testament how they had disobeyed the Lord and the Lord sent serpents among them and bit them and they're dying and their only hope because they deserve to die is that they looked at the lifted serpent and they lived. God loved the world so much 
He gave His Son, Jesus. Whoever trusts Him, not themselves, not advancement, not their obedience or wisdom or law, whoever trusts what Jesus has done, this is obedience, to believe in Him who God sent. That person has no condemnation, but is saved through Jesus. Jesus Christ did it, and it worked. We're forgiven. Your relationship with this God no longer depends on your sin. It is paid for, but on your trust of this Savior. That's new life.